Well, good morning, and my name's David, and unusually for me, I've not been in church for the last three weeks, and um, so far I don't appear to have been struck off, so that's good. I did quickly check with Marcus, we still met at 10, because you know what the SLT like for changing things at one church. But this morning, we're going to carry on our study on Ecclesiastes, and uh, Marcus and Beth have opened things up over the last couple of weeks, um, and I'm going to be continuing on chapter four, and we'll have a look at that in just a moment. I'm going to try to have a look at the whole chapter and then with a particular focus on a few things where I want to try to pull out a few practical applications and so that's what we're aiming for. Um, Just in case like me you haven't been around I thought it's useful to just have a little bit of a recap of where we're going to land Um, and it's also to give a bit of context for this chapter. So Ecclesiastes is believed to have been written by Solomon Um, Solomon was the son of David as in David and Goliath David and Solomon's life is recorded in the Bible it's also in other Jewish writings it's in historical documents it's even in the Quran and in all of those books in all of those occurrences he's always described as wise so not just biblically but generally he was considered a wise man so it would be a good idea to maybe listen to some of what he's got to say The biblical account of Solomon um, says that God gifted him with wisdom and Solomon used that wisdom to lead and build um, a people to grow a vast kingdom and to amass a fortune. Um, His fortune must have been vast because we also read that he had 700 wives and 300 concubines and we all know how expensive wives are but worth every penny darling. Solomon was also a skilled leader and a politician and he formed alliances with other leaders and with other kingdoms around him so that he could grow in power and influence. So this guy had well and truly made it. In a worldly perspective he had gained everything that the world offered and you know despite this book of Ecclesiastes being nearly 3,000 years old As humans, we haven't really changed that much. He achieved fame, fortune, success and power, which is pretty much the go-to ambition list of many people living today. And before we get into chapter four, I just want to have another little side note here that just hopefully helps some of our understanding of what it is that Solomon is saying. And, you know, throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, there's there's a constant repetition of a few key phrases And one of those phrases is under the sun, which means things happening down here on earth. And more specifically, it means to think and act from an earthly point of view. So Solomon uses this phrase quite often under the sun, and he's making a distinction between heavenly things and earthly things or worldly things. He's making a difference between eternal things and the things that occur in our lifetime. And I just want you to know that, to understand that Solomon, in some of what he's saying and describing, he's purposely leaving God out of the picture. And we need to recognise that fact, because as much of the writing in this book of Ecclesiastes, he is considering life lived only with an earthly value or an earthly meaning attached to it. He's considering life without considering the spiritual or the godly or the heavenly perspective. So when we look at Solomon and all that he had achieved under the sun, from the worldly perspective, he had reached the top, the pinnacle, 
And then this book of Ecclesiastes, this is like his view from the top. He's reflecting back on life. He's looking what he's achieved. This is the view from the top. And we might think what a view that is going to be. But those that have been here for the last couple of weeks will know that his summary was actually pretty bleak. Hevel, hevel, everything is utterly hevel. You, those of you that know might have been expecting the word meaningless there. Meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. Hevel is the Hebrew word from this book. And meaningless is a translation that often gets used in the English. But hevel has a broader meaning. And um, the word hevel, it means a few things in Hebrew, but it means breath to breathe a breeze vapor or smoke there's even a thought that this word hevel is something of an onomatopoeia of just sort of like a deep sigh hevel it's about something that's futile about something that's not lasting that's fleeting and temporary finally it's described as being worthless or meaningless so it's this idea that there's this smoke there's this vapor that you actually you see it but you can't ever really get hold of it you can't put it in your pocket you can't grasp it and it's this idea that our life on earth is only fleeting and temporary so if we consider only things under the sun from that perspective then it's all hevel fleeting temporary meaningless but as we've been singing this morning about a hope in Jesus we know that there as Christians there is more to life than that there is a hope and Beth highlighted this verse and from chapter 3 last week he has also set eternity in the human heart God has placed eternity in the hearts of mankind God has placed eternal longing this glimmer of eternity in the human heart and Solomon suggests that's something that's different in people than other life on the earth that we have this somehow this innate sense of eternity in us that we just have this knowledge that there's more to life than this something more than what we can just see and experience on the everyday here and now our lives are not lived just under the sun but we have an eternal future and a destiny with a God that loves us and it's that God that love that relationship that gives our lives ultimate purpose and meaning so I just wanted to get us to that backdrop as we now open up chapter 4 and if I could have the first slide up please guys so we're going to start at chapter 4 and I'm going to do a little section at a time and then hopefully try to unpack some of this so first we're going to look at verses 1 to 3 again this is Solomon speaking I looked and saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun I saw the tears of the oppressed and they have no comforter power on the side of their oppressors and they have no comforter and I declared that the dead who had already died are happier than the living who are still alive but better than both is the one who's never been born who has not seen the evil that is done under the sun so at this point Solomon's looking again in a bit of a bleak <laughs> backdrop and he says it's better actually to be dead than under an oppressor, under the experiencing the evil that we have in this world. And in fact, he even goes a step further. It's not even better to be dead. It's better to have never even been born at all. He's talking about the evil and the injustice that is in the world. And it seems like a really extreme view, doesn't it? An extreme language. 
And so my question is, well, maybe as a people, we've developed a bit since then. Maybe as a society, we've refined ourselves. We've become a little bit better. But the short answer is, of course, no, we haven't. And I just want to give you one stark example, and it is stark, I appreciate. But if we consider not that long ago in human history, the Holocaust, a child on a train heading to a Nazi death camp, we know what's awaiting them and maybe in that sort of scenario we can see why Solomon might say it's better that they were never born than what they're about to experience. So 3,000 years later humanity is still very capable of evil and we see terrible inequity in our world. The gap between rich and poor just grows and grows and grows. We should continue with the next bit of the chapter if we could have verse 4 please guys. And I saw that all toll and achievement spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. So just have a look at these verses. So here Solomon is saying we can get caught up in the toil and achievement as we look around with an envious eye as to what others have around us. We easily as humans think it's not fair. Look what they've got. Look at their life. And we push to maybe try to attain more. And what Solomon's really saying is we're so easily unsatisfied with our lot. And really quickly, there's a simple remedy to unsatisfaction. And there's two things I think that we can do. First of all, is we just keep our eyes and our focus on our own stuff. Not be so interested in looking around about what others have. Don't believe the social media flexing that we see day after day. And the second thing that makes a huge difference is give thanks for what we do have. You know, we live in an amazingly safe, secure and blessed part of the world. We've got running water in a tap when we want it. We've got food in our stomachs every day. We need to be grateful for what we have. Our attitude and our thoughts can determine our happiness much more than what we do or don't have. Next, he says, fools fold their hands, give up altogether and think they don't have to work at all. This is the, I'm opting out, I'm doing nothing, I'm sitting on my hands, what's the point? But again, we say, it, you know, this leads to ruin, Solomon says. Don't be lazy. God didn't design us that way. It's about finding the right balance. And that's where these last few verses, better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil. One hand on work one hand on peace and tranquility you know we can work harder we can keep striving to try to gain more we can go for both hands grabbing at what we can get but as we do that we rob ourselves of peace it's about that balance we do need to work we place our hand to what we need to do but we keep a hand on peace and tranquility and balance in our lives we can move on to chapter and verse 7 Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. 
we can perhaps recognize someone that's sort of described in this passage again from a worldly view you could um, maybe even see some positives this could be someone that's got a great job they work long hours they're independent they have money they can buy nice stuff in all the time our society actually praises this type of person focused driven know what they want but Solomon again points out issues with this the success comes at a cost there is no end to the toil why is there no end because they're never satisfied whatever they earn is not quite enough last year's bonus was good but if I can just perform that little bit better I could do even better I could get even more and it's not just limited to work this thing about just wanting wanting more because the stuff we think will make us happy ultimately doesn't no job no possession no pleasure is enough to fulfill the desires of the heart I can remember 25 odd years ago being at university driving a little Peugeot 205 thinking to myself I would really love a Mark II Golf if I could just have a Mark II Golf I've made it I saved up and a student loan got the Mark II Golf loved it but two weeks later if I had a Mark III Golf GTI it's so quick isn't it the thing that we focus on fast forward 25 years I was at Le Mans last weekend with a load of guys from church cars everywhere if only I could have that car the actor Jim Carrey famously said I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see it's not the answer Solomon puts it like this their eyes are not content with their wealth whatever we have it doesn't fully satisfy and there's another problem for this guy in the story the person is alone the scripture says neither a son nor a brother so again success but at what cost who is it all for Solomon says don't become a successful but solitary person it's just not worth it and I just want to take a moment for us to reflect here maybe even ask ourselves the question what are we laboring for Robert Louis Stevenson said this perpetual devotion to what man calls his business is only sustained by perpetual neglect of many other things what areas in your life are you neglecting throwing everything at work everything at the thing that you think you need to achieve are you sacrificing relationships with God with family with friends all for the sake of a career that may leave you successful but solitary these are questions that are just worth asking ourselves to just maybe look at balance again whatever we build our life on will drive us but it can also enslave us and you know our culture positively promotes this kind of attitude social media is full of it work hard climb the ladder do whatever it takes get the money be TikTok famous achieve these things but Solomon says there's a problem living that way you can attain success and all your dreams but it still won't be enough in fact you'll become enslaved because the success is actually an idol that always wants more 
I'm going to just jump a few verses now because I want to come back. We're going to go on to verse 13, please, guys. This is the end of the chapter. It says this, Better a poor but wise youth than an old but foolish king who no longer knows how to heed a warning. The youth may come from prison to kingship or he may have been born in poverty within his kingdom. I saw all who lived and walked under the sun followed the youth, the king's successor. There was no end to the people who were there before them. But those who came later were not pleased with the successor. This too is meaningless, chasing after the wind. This is a picture I think of what we would kind of consider a political picture really of a politically successful person, an old and a foolish king who's lost touch, doesn't take advice, let's call him Boris for argument's sake. Perhaps he's fired his advisers, many politicians do this, they reach the top, they stop listening and they just begin to eventually drift. Lord Acton famously said, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. These people, they go from hero to zero, and then we're glad to see the back of them. Then someone new comes along, someone better. In the text here, it's someone poor, and we know historically all around the world, people who sometimes rise to power, you know, they inspire hope in people. It's very often on a mandate of, I'm a man of the people, I'm going to make it better for the oppressed and the needy, we're going to change things. And their popularity can be off the charts. But we again know with history and as we look back over time, they fail to deliver what they've promised. And then we think we've had enough of you as well. You know, our society values career, success, status, fame, popularity so highly. But Solomon says, you're chasing the wind. So if success and popularity won't satisfy, what will? So finally, this is the last bit of, we're going to look from chapter four, and 4, this is verses 9 to 12, please guys. Two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labour. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity one, anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. You know, our lives need to be built around genuine community. I was really pleased when Marcus started this meeting talking about being home in this place, being a place where we can be together as a group of believers. This is the only bit of text within that chapter where Solomon doesn't end with the term this is hevel meaningless chasing the wind these things are good for us these scriptures are often quoted in relation to marriage and couples I'm sure we've all been at weddings and heard these verses said but this morning I wanted us to consider not so much the couple although there is definitely a blessing and a model to be had in that but applying that wider to us in the setting of a church Genuine community is better than solitary success or popularity. It's what we need in our lives. And then Solomon gives us the benefits of this fellowship with one another. First, he says, we'll have a larger profit. Two are better than one because they get good reward for their toil. 
working together often produces more than you would produce on your own, more greater than the sum of the parts involved. Not only that, but it's more fulfilling to be doing something with someone. We get more enjoyment when we share that with others. Secondly, we'll find times of help, for if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. We need others who have our back. Third thing it mentions is that we'll have more comfort. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? This one might sound a bit strange to us and very much seem applicable to the married couple scenario, but it's actually generally considered that this text was actually speaking about the fact that in the ancient Middle East there was often lots of travel and during that time of travel you would sleep on the cold side of a road going to places A to B. And when you're sleeping outdoors at night and the temperature drops, a single cloak that you would have been wearing isn't enough. But if you can huddle close to someone and double up and share some warmth, that's what it's talking about. And you know, the, every one of us in church should have at least someone that we feel we can huddle with to really get close to. You know, if you've experienced anything of warmth and friendship in this church, then that's the kind of thing that Solomon's talking about here. Finally, it says, you will have greater protection. And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. When you're alone, you're vulnerable. When you're in community, we have protection. We can encourage one another, support one another. Charles Spurgeon wrote this, communion, meaning community, communion is strength, solitude is weakness. Alone, the free old beech tree yields to the blast and lies prone in the meadow. In the forest, supporting each other, the trees laugh at the hurricane. The sheep of Jesus flock together. The social element of is the genius of Christianity. As I was just finishing this, my preparation yesterday, I just had a little moment and I flicked onto Facebook and Karina, who had been at the Ladies' Day that Marcus mentioned, had just shared a post basically saying how great a time she had had but she finished that post by writing this church is not something you go to it's a family you belong to this is some of what Solomon is saying here we need to be known and we need to know and be known to one another and this morning I just want us to ask these questions and again just reflect do you have someone in your life who is helping you to be spiritually more productive do you have a friend that knows when you're down, notices when you're in trouble and wants to come along and help pick you up? Do you know what it's like to find comfort in the friendships you have with other believers? And do you have the protection that comes from being together? These are all things that we could summarise in that word home that Marcus started with, a sense of belonging, being able to flourish in this community of believers together. We were built for relationship with one another and with God. And that is where we find value, purpose and meaning. It was Solomon who taught us that friends and companions should make us a better person. In Proverbs 27:17, it says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. 
Proverbs 18.24, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. This morning I just want to remind us that there is a limit to what we can do and achieve in life lived on our own, and ultimately it's futile. Hevel. Jesus invites us into a community characterised by love and encouragement. In John 15, Jesus says, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. So I just want to encourage us to push into more of that type of connection and relationship. If you're not in a life group, I'd encourage you this morning, join one. Really get to walk alongside someone else, another believer. Walk this life under the sun with faith in God, with Jesus as a friend, and know and remember that you were made with an eternal destination in mind. Just going to ask the team to come back up now. And, um, you know, if you just feel that you need some prayer this morning, there's a family here that would just love to stand alongside and pray with you. Anything at all, whatever you feel you need prayer for, I just encourage you to come. But maybe there are some of us here this morning that just even need to just reflect in our seats as we sing these next couple of songs about getting that balance in our lives right. About where that focus is, about what we're spending our energies on. Are we just surviving, getting through the week with nothing else left? Because that's not what God wants. Don't spend our lives on the hevel chasing the wind. Instead, build them on eternal things.